So I invite you to take a sip of your coffee, or whatever it is you're drinking. I love saying that because then everybody does it. <laughs> no one listens to me anywhere else, so take a sip of your coffee and think with me for just a minute about these questions. Where does God live? Is God more present in religious spaces or at religious events or with religious people? Does God love the Packers or the Vikings more? Okay, I'm just trying to make sure I have your attention. I'm not asking for you to say the words, okay? What does God, that was just a, I just threw that in. What does God care about more? My church attendance or how I treat my neighbor? How well I can recite the Bible or whether I actually live out what it teaches? Is God more pleased with me when I put a fish sticker on my car or if I pay my workers a living wage? And maybe you would say, well, I think God cares about both, but what if God had to pick? What would God pick? I ask these questions just to get you to start to think this morning as we start our second week in this series for October that we're calling Bad Religion. Bad religion is not something we're talking about in some other group of people or some other faith. It's something that exists inside of all of us. And we're defining bad religion as that tendency we all have to take Jesus' teachings and twist them just enough so that we have this kind of weird set of beliefs that end up causing damage to our faith with God and and to ourselves and to other people. And I am so susceptible to bad religion, all forms of it. We all are. We all are susceptible. And the reason why, if you were here, Dave talked about it last week, is kind of living on the edge of a coin. It's the truth. Bad religion is oh so close to what's actually true. And that's why this gets so tricky. So we are going to spend these four Sundays in October unpacking four different kinds of bad religion, talking about the way those particular views or beliefs um, damage our relationship with God and ourselves and others. And hopefully we're going to point us to a truer way of understanding the heart of Jesus in the world. And so here's the kind of bad religion I want to talk about today. Bad religion that thinks that God lives at church. And in order to kind of talk about this in more depth, I'm gonna use a phrase called spiritual apartheid. Spiritual apartheid. Now, if you are familiar with the, the word apartheid, you understand it as the word used to describe the sinful, deeply damaging governmental policy of dividing humans by race that has existed in South Africa. It's not the law now, but that kind of division still exists in a deep way in South Africa, and it's deeply damaging. Spiritual apartheid is more the belief that we can do this, the same kind of idea of dividing, but it's when we think we can divide our life, our world, into holy and unholy, into sacred and secular, 
into places where God is present and where God is not present. I'm defining spiritual apartheid as the belief that God is present in certain places and not in others. It's when we think that God is present and pleased when we're doing Christian things, church things, and that he's absent and some kind, some, in some way disappointed when we're just doing our ordinary tasks. It's when we think that God is more present in a church building than in our neighborhoods, that God is more pleased when we study the Bible than when we're bathing our child or paying the bills or building a tractor. Now, what's the problem with this? Why is this bad? I just want to talk to you about three different ways that spiritual apartheid is damaging. It's damaging and dangerous first because it's untrue. It's just simply not true. We sing here sometimes the hymn, This is my father's world. Uh, Theologians, scholars who study God love to make up really complicated words, I think, so that they can continue to earn a paycheck. Um, they, They call this, this idea that God is present everywhere, they say that God is omnipresent, meaning God will not be contained in spaces and places of our own choosing. There's a million different passages in the Bible, but just this one from the prophet Jeremiah, God is speaking, and God says this. He asks a series of questions. Jeremiah 23, starting with verse 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. See, to God, there is no sacred or secular. There is no holy or unholy. God is present everywhere. And sometimes I forget that. And sometimes I just fail to live as if it's true. And sometimes if I'm honest with you, I just want to live as if God is not present. Sometimes I even talk myself into thinking that I somehow get to decide about where and when and how and if God is present. This is why so many of us, we don't realize we're doing this, but we do it. We pray, God, please be with us today. And I just think God is like, hello? Seriously? You're inviting me? It's really incredible. I do this just so I can continue the charade that we all engage in too often, the dangerous charade of thinking I am the center of it all, and it's God's job to revolve around me. Spiritual apartheid is dangerous because it's not true. It's not a true understanding of reality. Second reason it's dangerous is that it it gives us an out to behave in ways very unlike Jesus when we're not at church. Right now, it's getting a little touchy here. We say in our minds, as long as I go to church, I can fill in the blank, ignore the poor, watch my porn, whatever it is. As long as I prayed the salvation prayer, I can 
fill in the blank, murder people with my words, scream at six-year-olds on the soccer field. As long as I read my Bible and prayed this morning, I can fill in the blank. I mean, you, you get what I'm saying here. You know what someone told me a couple weeks ago? People come to church here, and while they're pulling in um, and trying to find a parking place, and our volunteers are trying to help them find a parking, lot, parking place, there's some people who uh, swear at the parking lot volunteers and flip them the bird. Did you know this? People are driving into or out of church, and they are flipping off the volunteers who are standing in the rain helping them find a parking place. And if this is you, let me just say a word to you. You're so welcome here, seriously. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. I get this feeling, right? It's okay. We're glad you're here. But this behavior, I'm just going to say, is a perfect picture of spiritual apartheid. It's a super perfect example. Like, I'm not quite in the church. God's not quite present here, so let me just do what I want to do. But as soon as I get inside, right? Super perfect example. Now, the issue with this is, this isn't new, right? And all of us do this in all kinds of ways. This is a conversation, Isaiah, another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 58 There's a a conversation between God and the people of Israel. And the people of Israel are upset with God because God is apparently not overly impressed with their religious efforts. This is what we're going to pick up, Isaiah 58, starting with verse 3. Now, this is the voice of the people of Israel. Why have we fasted and you have not seen it? They're talking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Look at us, God. We're doing all the right religious things. And then God speaks. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard. This is the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is what spiritual apartheid looked like for the people of Israel, thinking, you know, if, 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 if we just fast and act in a humble way, if we just do good relig- religious things, we can live like complete jerks in our real life. And the, the truth is, God would not have it. And God will not have it with us either. This has just been so convicting to me as I've thought about this. The way I behave here and then the way I behave out there when I weirdly think somehow God's not looking. Spiritual apartheid is dangerous because it's not true and because it convinces us, in in some kind of way it does this to all of us, it convinces us that our religious behavior, not our real life behavior, is what counts. And Last, it's dangerous to our own souls 
because it causes us to discount the bulk of our life. It causes us to discount the bulk of our life. When we live in spiritual apartheid, we can drift toward becoming practical atheists. We can drift toward becoming practical atheists. And what I mean by that is for all practical purposes, we behave as if God is non-existent in our lives except when we're doing churchy things. We shut God out of our minds during those moments we label as unholy, which, if we're honest, constitute the bulk of our days. And this concept, whether we're aware of it or not, can turn our daily life into a spiritual wasteland. Boring, dry, meaningless space and time where we're either ignoring God so we can have some fun or behaving as if God doesn't exist and therefore discounting our lives and the lives of those we encounter. Spiritual apartheid is bad religion and God counteracts it right at the beginning of the creation of the world. Scholars believe, most scholars, that Moses basically wrote the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. And if you remember Moses' story, Moses was raised and educated in Egypt. Remember the whole basket and the rushes and all that kind of stuff? When When he writes, records the creation story and has God creating the world in six days, he uses all kinds of Egyptian literary tools that we don't pick up as Western readers when we read the creation story, but all the original readers, Hebrews and the Egyptians, would have understood that what was being described in this creation story was, yes, that God was creating the world, But almost more importantly, they would have picked out literary clues that told them that God was also constructing his own house. God was building his temple. And if we would ask Moses where God lives, the question I opened up with this morning, he would have said, God lives in his temple. This earth that God created So from the very beginning, God blows apart this silly, man-made idea of spiritual apartheid by saying, listen, anywhere, everywhere is my house. Bible study or barbecue, church or childcare center, worship space or water park, sacred place or secular. It's why King David, who also thought with a Middle Eastern worldview, said in Psalm 139, where can I go, God, from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. If I go to the west, you're there. If I go to the east, you're there. If I go to church, you're there. If I go to youth soccer, you're there. If I go to the Walnut neighborhood in Waterloo or to a Cubs game, you're there. But if I go to a Cardinals game, (laughs) it's taken me a long time to live as if all of my life is spiritual because God is present in all of it. And this has been such a freeing, energizing thing to realize and to live into. 
I do not worship a God of church attendance sheets, gold stars for going to a Bible study, or special recognition for me if I'm at church more hours than the next guy. God is a God of all of my life and all of your life and every single part of it, every single moment of it, really, can be a connection with God and a time to worship God if we choose to make it so every moment is holy. And when we live as if we can compartmentalize God and pick and choose where we get to acknowledge him and when and where and how he's present, I believe we offend him deeply. So how do we battle this disease? How do we battle this disease of spiritual apartheid which harms us and harms others and offends God? I think the very first thing we need to do is name it and recognize it and notice when we're practicing it and refute it, right? That's the very first way to counteract something. But the second thing that we can do, I believe, is we can change our mindset about the bulk of our day and we can choose to live fully in the present moment. Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day, this right here, that the Lord has made. Which means this right here is also the hour that the Lord has made. This is the minute the Lord has made. This is the second. This is the moment right here that the Lord has made. And every moment, religious or not, every moment counts. It counts. Every moment of every day is a gift from God to you. And I know not every moment is magical. I know for many of us this morning, our moments are really hard. But even the hardest ones are moments potentially rich with God's presence and power, often unseen, intangible, deeply mysterious, but present nonetheless. And too often, I'm like a spoiled kid at a birthday party who gets a great gift, but not the perfect gift. I'm just like that kid when I reject the moments God has gifted to me as not exactly perfect. And I neglect, I neglect them by choosing not to be present in them because I choose to be somewhere else in my head. Right? I'm replaying the past, living back through all my regrets of yesterday. I'm worrying about the future. What's going to come? What's going to happen? I'm lost in the eternal chatter of my own wandering mind. Anybody else here guilty of this same thing? This habitual rejection of the present moment? I mean, how on earth do you combat this? Two questions I believe we can ask when we find ourselves wandering away from the gift of the present moment. And the first is a question you can ask yourself, and it's this. Where are you right now? Where are you right now, Alice? Meaning, what's going on in your head right now 
other than the acceptance and your presence in this current moment. So let's try this together for just a moment, seriously. Now I want you to put your coffee down. (laughs) I love you guys. And I want you to ask yourself, where am I right now? Seriously, where are you right now? What are you thinking about right now? The fight you had on the way to church this morning? How hungry or bored or tired you are? How guilty you feel about your life with God? What games are on this afternoon? What happened to the Hawks yesterday? What might happen at work or with one of your kids or with your bank account this week? Would you, for just a moment, stop all the hustling, spinning, rushing, planning, thinking about every moment other than this moment right here? And could you practice for five seconds simply being present here in this room for just a second? Seriously. Take a deep breath. Feel yourself in the chair. Feel your feet on the floor. Relax your shoulders. Man. If you feel safe or comfortable, close your eyes for just a second and be here. You are alive on this earth. You are alive. And God gives you this breath you're taking right now. And if you're lucky, he'll give you the one you're going to take right after it in his grace. Man, pay attention, friends. This moment, every moment is holy ground because God is here. And so every morning when we wake up, you and I get to decide, am I just going to drift through this day, half asleep, half aware, waiting to somehow try to meet up with God when I go to church on Sunday? Or am I going to remember that there could be hundreds of moments today, if I'm open to it, that God might intersect with my life? This is my decision, and it's yours too. This little spiritual practice helps me when I find myself rejecting the gift of the present moment by refusing to live in it. I ask myself, where are you right now, Alice? Be here now and see what this moment has to offer you. The second question that I can ask once I've asked myself the first question is not a question I ask of myself, but it's a question I ask of God. And that is this, where are you, God? Where are you? Where am I? I'm right here in this present moment. Now, God, show me where you are. And let me just say, if you're going to ask this question, be prepared to be surprised. Some friends 
and I were in Denver, Colorado a few weeks ago at a conference, and uh, on our way home from the conference, we were all exhausted, but um, several of us saw some places where we wanted to stop to get some treats. So we pulled the van over, stopped in the middle of a, a, park, a parking lot of a grocery store, and, and people scurried off to the different places to get some uh, goodies for after the conference. I was so tired and fried, I just wanted to sit in the van. So. I did. I just sat in the van at like 5.30 on a Friday afternoon. I was tired, and I decided to practice living in the present moment, even though I did not want to. So I said, you know, where are you, Alice? And I, you know, thought, I'm here. I'm in this van. It's late on a Friday. I'm tired, but I'm present. And then I made the mistake of asking the question, where are you, God? And I thought maybe, you know, I would have a little moment with God. He'd speak to me somehow or whatever. And I looked up out of the front uh, uh, window of the van, and I noticed a man in a wheelchair with one leg uh, scooting his way up the parking lot. And the parking lot was kind of at an angle, right, because we're a little bit in Colorado. And so he was going really slow. He only had one leg, and he was trying to use his arms. And so he'd go, like, two scoots forward and a scoot back. And... The cars in the parking lot were like whizzing around this guy. I mean, there was no stopping. It was almost as if he didn't exist. And then he got halfway up the parking lot and he was kind of in a, a, a throughway. Now cars were like whizzing by him and kind of going around him. And so I kept asking, you know, where are you, God? Just having this moment. And finally I realized, oh, Okay, I mean, I think that might be God in the wheelchair. So I get out of the van and I make my way over to the man. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to impose because you can't assume somebody wants help. And I said to him, excuse me, sir, would you like some help? And he said to me, why, yes, I would. I'm trying to get up to the bus stop up there and it's taken me a long time. And so I started to push him. I noticed he had some Fritos uh, in a bag strapped to the back of his um, wheelchair. And so I said, did you just do some shopping? And he said, well, I sing one hour a day at the Safeway to make some money so I can buy some Fritos. <laughs> I almost took some, I was kind of hungry, but I was pushing him along and I said, now where, you know, how do I get to the bus stop? And he said, well, you're gonna go right up that red brick path. And then, he sang, and then he said, follow the red brick road, follow the red brick road. And so I said, because, 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 because. And he said, because of the things she does. And then we just kept going. We're off to see the wizard. Sang him all the way to the bus stop. And he thanked me, and I thanked him. And as I uh, skipped my way back to the van, I just whispered up into the sky, it was nice to see you, Jesus. This is God's temple. This is his house. And he's everywhere. If we're awake to the present moment, we can encounter him there. So I encourage you as you leave today to think about asking these two questions when you find yourself in what you think of as a secular or unholy or just boring ordinary moment. Would you ask yourself, where am I right now? And then would you take the risk of asking God where he is? And would you keep your eyes open, not necessarily for the God who wants to give you the perfect parking space at the mall, 
because I don't think that God exists, or the God who exists to make your life safe, happy, and comfortable, because I don't think that God exists either. But would you keep your eyes open for the God who sometimes appears in the form of a one-legged man in a wheelchair singing, follow the red brick road? Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, we just like to make things up to make life a little bit easier, to make life a little bit more understandable, to make us feel like maybe we're more in control. And so sometimes we make up things that are just bad, bad, bad religion. And this idea that you live at church, you care most about church, you really don't care or show up in our ordinary lives or in places that we think of as unholy is just wrong. And so, God, I pray this morning that we would leave with fresh eyes and a fresh expectation and a fresh hope that we can live each moment of our lives as precious and holy and worth living in because you're in it. And would you help us perhaps leave with this little spiritual practice of these two questions so that we, your people, can be people who see you and meet you and greet you everywhere. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.